Hello, it's Charlotte's sister, C. Farrell, host of Powered by Age, Canada's longest-running senior-led podcast that invites you to do what you love. This podcast is for you if you love writing or telling stories, if you love sharing poetry or doing interviews. This podcast is for you if you love working on ways to create age-friendly cities. This podcast is for you if you love learning how to tame technology and get more out of virtual events, if you love finding more ways to share your heritage or traditions. If you love any of these things, you can go beyond listening and join our weekly podcast group. Simply email pbaafc at gmail.com and put your name in the subject line. Powered by Age is sponsored by the Government of Canada, New Horizons Grant, the 411 Senior Center Society, and GNF Financial Group. Welcome to Powered by Age a senior-led podcast where we talk about books, we talk about issues, where the initial mandate for our group was to change the perception people have of older people. And so we do that in a number of ways. We have presentations sometimes on political issues, sometimes on health, and today our story is right. We're talking about writing, and we have some special guests. Uh, I think I said my name. Sometimes I forget to introduce myself. I'm Charlotte Farrell, the host. I am a poet, storyteller, and um, our program, we are happy to say that we are uh, broadcasting and talking here on the unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Siliwatuth people. We have guests from Ontario, and maybe you might also say, if you know the, the uh, ancestral lands that you are joining us from. Um, what we do at the beginning is have the people that are at the beginning introduce themselves, where they're from, and you can tell us one thing you love about writing. And so uh, we'll start with um, Una. Una is one of our guest presenters today, and so is Leslie, but uh, we'll start with you uh, introducing yourself. Oh, hi, yes. My name is Una. Um, I'm a published poet, and I'm busy um, writing my memoirs uh, of growing up in uh, South Africa during the apartheid years. So that's been an, a long, ongoing thing, but uh, I found a really great uh, writer's group, and they critique just wonderful, so they're helping me along. Okay. Um, Delsa? Oh, my God. <laughs> I am new to you, and I'm new to everything. I'm, uh, I haven't written a book. I'm just writing stories here and there, little stories uh, uh, with uh, varied topics. And I'm here just to learn from you guys. Okay, and we'll be learning from you because people, everyone, every, so much, all the time people are saying, people tell me I have a book in me, so, or I have a story. So we're going to be talking about how to pull out that book. The people who've already pulled it out and for the others who are waiting and just need, you know, like burping a baby to get it out. So <laughs> that's one of our objectives. Uh, Leslie? Yes, I'm Leslie Hebert. Uh, I'm in New Westminster on the unceded territory of the Kakite. And I am a poet, a writer of short stories, and I'm currently working on a travelogue about a trip I took to Japan a while ago. And I'm proud to do a little mini brag. Uh, this is Pocket Lint. It's a New Westminster publication. 
uh, by Warren Fulton, which some of you may know. Oh. Yeah. And it's a collection of mini poems, concrete poems, graphic poems. And I have two little mini poems published in there. Good oh, for wonderful. You. Great. <laughs> well, maybe Bucket. you can tell us where to get it. <laughs> From Warren Fulton. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll put it Sorry. in the chat. Okay. Uh, Jenny? Oh, hi, everybody. I'm, I'm not a writer, but Romana invited me because um, I, I, it's funny. I was just over at Indigo this afternoon, and I'm a big fan of Louise Penny, and she's got a new book out. And are you familiar with her? She's from Quebec, but she's an English author. Yeah, and it's called The Madness of Crowds, and I just started reading it. And uh, so I thought I'd get on and just see what it's all about. But I did write a little book with my granddaughter, uh, a kid's book that we did together. But it's not like it was never published. We just did it ourselves. So I, I'm interested in, in reading and writing and poetry. So thank you. That's why I'm here. Oh, well, welcome. Oh, um, I forgot to tell you, I'm from Mississauga, as Romana had mentioned, and we met at the PMC, the Peel Multicultural Center, which we were volunteering to help the new Canadians with um, English speaking uh, classes. Ooh. And I'm still volunteering there, actually. We do it on virtual. So we're still doing it through all this, uh, you know, COVID. We're still doing that once I do it once a week on Mondays. I volunteer. Okay. Oh, wonderful. Uh, Ramona? Oh, she's got a sorry, sorry about that. So I'm Ramona, a retired teacher. And um, while I have written, they've been very boring textbooks. So I'm getting inspired by all of you, and especially by my sister Dell to try and do something creative. Um, and, and I'm really happy to hear what everyone has to say today, Leslie and Una. They will be really useful to all of us. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Del. Hi. Um, so I'm from uh, Gibson, BC, um, just a ferry ride away from Vancouver. Um, I write here with a critique group, which meets um, most of the time except in the summer. And I'm one of those people who, when I'm not in a group, when I'm not expected to bring something, I just don't write. I'm kind of a homework girl. So when my sister told me about this, I thought maybe it'll revive my uh, interest. So I like writing short stories, and lately I've become interested in um, flash memoir. But mm. just writing little chunks of uh, memoir. Mm -hmm. so. Oh, that's great. A few of us, about three of us here, have been doing some flash writing. So maybe as we get into our discussions, oh. you can tell us a bit about flash memoir. Um, Maria? Is that me? No, Maria. Maria. Uh, I'm not Maria. Oh, she's. Maria, can you? Unmute yourself. I could never pass the physical. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the beard I, probably messed you up. <laughs> Hi, Neil. How are you? 
Well, maybe she's not able to do the audio right now. Neil, we're just doing that our introduction time. Yeah, I'm sorry. Zoom, Zoom betrayed me today, and then Google jumped in and asked me to prove it was me, and uh, yada yada yada. Sorry, I apologize for being late. And what do you do? My name is Neil Ryan, and I'm a poet with a published book that uh, cost me a small fortune and made me an even smaller one. <laughs> uh, I am. I, I I guess I gotta say I am a poet who looks at life through loving eyes as often as I can, and it's not easy. Oh. <clears throat> oh. It, it's, it can take you to some bumpy places and take you to some exhilarating places. Exactly. <laughs> uh, my, my encounter with writing began when I was a, a child. Uh, I wrote a, a little story and I was able to do it at uh, Sunday school. And I got a candy cane. And so it associated with me that there's some reward in writing and saying something. So <laughs> that was my first start. But then uh, in going through college, I prepared to do something academic because people, I was the oldest child. And if I said I wanted to go into creative arts, I think they would have hung me upside down. So I studied nutrition and journalism, but it wasn't until uh, 1989, I was working as a health promotion consultant to the city of Toronto. And I was on my way back to the health department from doing a stress workshop for teens. And this stressed out woman hit me, knocked my car over to the side, had a brain injury and a spinal injury and all of the work that I did involved reading, writing, and talking. And words were running around the page. So the first words I was able to capture were poems. And like Neil said, a lot of the poems were angry, but I went through a, a series of things from writing from pain to joining up a poetry therapy group and different types of things that helped me to publish a couple of books of poetry and then to do poetry workshops for people either for healing or to love themselves. Because in this world, when there are so many uh, negative things, we have to from time to time, like uh, they'll say, you need a, a cheerleader or a group to remind you to love yourself and write about things that are important to you like memoirs. So we're going to be hearing today, um, Una is going to share a bit of her process and work that she's done. Um, uh, Leslie is going to talk about uh, the value of groups that you work with and then also share some pages of something that she's developed in a group that where people brave the ice and share reading their work to others. So we're going to, without further ado, let uh, Una describe what she's going to do with us. Uh, yes. Um, first of all, uh, how I started. I started actually with haiku. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Cherry Blossom Festival in Vancouver. Yes. Oh, no, in Japan. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, they invite you to write about cherry blossoms. And, and I looked at this um, project I had and I studied it for a couple of weeks. And, and I read other people's uh, 
uh, haikus. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with haikus. Um, haiku is a poetic form and a type of poetry from Japanese culture. And it combines content and language in a meaningful yet compact form. Haiku poets write about everyday things. Many themes include nature, feelings, or experiences. Usually they are simple words and grammar. The most common form for haiku is, a, is three short lines. And the first unit contains, the first line contains five syllables. The second line will be seven syllables. And then the third line contains five syllables. So that's how I got into haiku. And I read other people's poems and I thought, oh, well, I could do that. You know, and I did a few by myself and then I looked at it and my husband checked it and I thought, oh, what the heck, I'm going to just send it in to the Cherry Blossom Festival. And so that was in November, I think. And then they, they choose uh, the winners in February. So I forgot about this haiku and lo and behold, I, I got an email and a phone call and... Um, I was awarded the um, Sakura Award for my haiku, my very first haiku. So I thought, oh, what the heck? So why not, you know, just continue. And so that's how I started doing haiku, and I love it. So I'll just read. Now, remember, it's the first line is five syllables, the second line is seven, and then the, first, the last line is five. So just, yes, yeah, just a simple one of the Japanese classic haiku. A cherry petal flies back up to its branch. Oh, a butterfly. And that's it. That's a haiku. Very so you, nice. just have, you just have to count five syllables for the first line, seven for the second line, and five for the last line. And here's another small one. A small frog rides a banana leaf, trembling. Isn't that simple? Mm -hmm. Five, seven, five. Showing no sign of an early death. A, a Cecilia's voice, Matu Bashu. Searching, resting. Oh, the temple bell, a butterfly. The rose, the red blossom bends and drips its dew to the ground. Like a tear, it falls. So if you are fearful of doing anything, try a haiku. It's simple. You know, just get your thoughts together. And, uh, and write something. Don't be afraid. You know, Has anyone I, tried, any one of you tried writing haiku? Yes, I did. Yeah, yes, I did. Yeah, five. Yeah, there's a here. Yeah, five, seven, five. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to ask, ask Una, where do you get your inspiration? Like you said, you started with the cherry blossom in, in um, Vancouver, right? Yes. I find that when I was doing that, uh, 
I have to pick um, uh, critical words to join together because it's not easy to create something that will make sense, especially if you're limited in the number of words, like five, seven, five, right? Five. Yeah, yeah. So how do you condense it in a way that is still coherent and well, the message is out there based on your haiku? You see, what, what happens with, with most writers, um, they get overly anxious that it's got to be right. Just go with your inner feelings. Like you're writing about a cherry blossom. Okay, look at the cherry blossom. It flies. So, you know, go out into the world and just look at things. So it's so simple. A cherry petal flies back up to its branch. And then you see a butterfly. So, oh, butterfly. So don't get too critical about yourself, you know. Just relax and say, okay, let's try this. And you should know, a small frog rides a banana leaf. It trembles. That's not, you know, it's not, it's not too overpowering, I think. So just relax. It will come, you know. Read other people's poems. Go to, um, you know, to events that they have where people read their poems. But read, get some poetry books and read. And you'll be surprised the inspiration you'll get. You don't have to be too academic and, you know, and things like that. It's like when, yeah. when I met Leslie Asker, my, my punctuation was just something else. And she introduced me to Gravely. And there was another form which helped me in, you know, doing things correct. So don't get too uptight. Yeah, there are always tools to help you, right? Yeah, there's always tools. You know, read other people's poems and, and say to yourself, I can do that. And, you know, just go inward and think about things about your life, about insects, about flowers. Yeah. All right. And so my husband and I uh, do photography. And so I, we had so many pictures of, of nature that we took. And I decided, oh, you know, what am I going to do with these thousands of pictures? And then I thought, well, why not make a book of whatever picture I took uh, and write a poem? And so I came up with this book. And I self-published this one. It's called Poetry. Can anybody see it? Lift it up a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that is the picture we took of the Vancouver Library. Poetry in photography. All right. It's a, it's what a, is the name underneath that? that it's called Poetry one? in Photography. Yeah, there's words underneath it. No, no. There's there's something to read underneath the title. Oh, it's just my name and my husband's no, name. No, 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 no. Just underneath the title. Yeah. A second issue. Okay. All right. And so okay. you can go on Blurb. There's a self-publishing um, company called Blurb. B-L-U-R-B. Yeah. And then you can just look up Poetry in Photography by Unibruns. 
It's a great idea, like Una. Yes. You go yeah. out there in nature, especially in winter time, yes. and then you come to the house and you go through your photography and you write haiku about That's them. That's right. Or you can write, you know, like this was just one of the pictures we took. It's yes. with, at the Dusen Garden. It's a rose. All right. And so I wrote a poem about it. Now, how do you do you how do you keep track of the syllables? If it's if a word has two syllables, does that count? Yes, you count each syllable. Yeah, and they don't have to rhyme, right, Una? No, they don't have to rhyming. Rhyme. Yeah, they don't have to rhyme. Yeah, does it is it better when they when you find a rhyme in between those uh, lines? Uh, well, haiku doesn't rhyme. It shouldn't, it has, or it has can to be it? about nature, you know. Right. Doesn't have to rhyme. Oh, I know right. a lot of people think the poem should rhyme, but they really, you know, don't have to rhyme. Yeah. Mm. In fact, there's some poetry contests today that say no rhyming poems. Yes. <laughs> and then yet some people get mad because you say it doesn't have to rhyme. It takes away a lot of pressure yeah. finding another finding more words to rhyme with the uh, with others, right? Yeah. So this was another one. I went to uh, one of those uh, events where they have all the lights, you know, and then you can walk around it. Can you see that? Wow! Beautiful. Uh, yeah. So I'll just lanterns. read the poem. I'll read the poem I wrote for this one. All right. These are lanterns behind. Yes, black the background in the dark. Yeah. Lanterns in the dark. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. So I wrote about light. So it says light. The secrets of the soil reach for the light. Its beauty is beholden to the light of the eye. Through the darkness, dawn breaks. Coyotes howl in the desert as the moon wanes. Rainbows light up the sky. After the storm, as sure as the sun rises, it will set. Some look for the light at the end of the tunnel. The light in the child's eye brings joy, as does the twinkle in the eye of the wise old man. Candlelight brings calm and serenity. Fading light casts long shadows on landscapes. As the beggar lie in the gutter, looking up at the sky, he sees the same stars we see as we look through the windows of our cozy living rooms. At the end of our day, we reach for the light. We are the keepers of the light. Pass it on. Nice. Beautiful. So many rich thoughts around the light. Yes. So much inspired wow. by that picture. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you get all these pictures, you know, and what you're just going to pile it up there. So why not write something about it, right? Wow. I am amazed where, where these talents come from. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you just think about what light, you know, okay, what, yeah. what does the light do, you know? Yes. What would we do without light? We'd be in darkness. So think about that and then write happy stuff, right? 
Uh, that was one of the questions that we had about this writing conversation. What are some surprising support sources of inspiration for you or Leslie or anything? What are some surprising sources of uh, information, inspiration? I'm inspired by life. And I find what is very useful as a writer is to carry a notebook around. Uh, because sometimes, you know, things will just come to you in the strangest of places and just take that little notebook and just scribble them down because otherwise if you try to remember, um, the odds are you're going to forget. And I've discovered a lot of poems that way. And sometimes I, I bring them home and I rework them, but uh, they're, they're just sometimes random thoughts that come to you. Yeah. This is my testimony to the value of having a notebook. Yes. I keep a little one that I can have in my purse. Yes, I know. I have wow. one by my bed. <laughs> the trick is, yeah. if you get inspired at 2 o'clock in the morning, at 9 o'clock being able to read what you wrote. <laughs> yeah. I want to do that. I will do that. Yeah. So, Una, did you have something you were going to share on screen, or was that what you, you already read? Uh, well, I don't want to waste time because I may not get it back up on screen again. Uh, but I'll send, um, maybe if I get everybody's email, I can send them this, uh, the, you know, what I was going to share about haiku. Mm -hmm. Yeah, email us, uh, Una. I think uh, Charlotte has our emails, right, Charlotte? Yeah. Yeah. I yes, like sir. to read. I saw some in the beginning of this uh, meeting. I saw some on the screen. That will be yours, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what I can ask you all to do, because sometimes these eyes <laughs> can't always read the chat, but my email is simple. It's P-B-A-A-F-C at Gmail, it stands for Powered by Age, Age-Friendly City, P-B-A-A-F-C at gmail.com. And if you just send me a note to uh, send you those, then I also will make sure that your name is in our list for weekly invitations to the uh, podcast. Okay. Okay, P-B-A-A-F-C at gmail.com. Yes, we are right. powered by age, and we're going to bring about an age-friendly city or country. Ah. <laughs> acronym, nice acronym. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Charlotte, uh, right. can you repeat that for me? I'm sorry. I've got PVA. Yeah, then AFC. AFC. At gmail.com. PVA AFC? Mm -hmm. PVA AFC okay. at gmail.com. Thank you. Yeah. Now, Leslie has had uh, an experience that she was going to tell us a bit about uh, the benefit of being in a scribblers. Or what, what is a scribblers group? Okay, that's the name of the group. Actually, before I start, um, I was telling everybody before about Pocket Lint. Uh, haiku is one of the forms that they publish. It's like very, very short poems. Yeah. And they're currently accepting submissions for issue number three. Okay. So if anybody has a haiku they would like to send to Warren, I've put the contact in 
the chat window for pocket lint at 2020 pocket lint 2021 at gmail.com is for submissions and warren dean fulton at uh is it hotmail no i'm not sure hang on a second um, okay uh yeah warren dean fulton at g sorry it's gmail so pocket lint 2021 at gmail.com for submissions or warren dean fulton at gmail.com for any inquiries about purchasing the publication or any other questions for warren okay yeah so um Let's get into maybe how I started writing. And I used to sort of write poetry as a teenager. I didn't think it was anything serious. Um, I just used to scribble in a notebook. And then, you know, I got into uh, adult things, working for a living. I became a minute writer, which is the complete opposite of writing poetry. And uh, sort of kind of forgot about my writing ambitions. And then later on, as things started being published online, I got involved in a content website. And I was publishing nonfiction articles. And also uh, they were accepting submissions for flash fiction. Mm. which is uh, very, very short, short stories, 500 words or less. And I got quite intrigued with the form, and I wrote a lot of flash fiction that went onto that website. And that kind of got me started again. So I, I started writing poetry and short stories, um, nothing really for publication, nothing that was too serious. And then I joined uh, a writing group called Waves, um, which is run by Ruth Kozak. I think some of you know Ruth. Yeah. And they met, and I think Una's still part of that group. Yeah. They meet once a week. And the nice thing about Waves was that it was a discipline. You had to write something. You always had to be working on a project to take it to the group next week. And that really got me started again as, uh, you know, one of the things about writing is you should be doing some every day just to practice your art and to, you know, become productive and to improve your art. Yeah. So it was a great discipline for doing that and kept me, you know, I was finding I was writing all the time. Um, now I have moved into another group that Ruth runs and I don't go to the two of them now because they're on the same day mm -hmm. so it's the same day in the evening and it's called Scribblers and Scribblers is a critique group and I am working on a travelogue of a trip I took to Japan about 10 years ago now and it started out as some short stories that I wrote for the Waves writing group. And I looked at this and thought, well, you know, I have so many of these stories, I could put them together into a book, which has actually turned out to be quite a bit harder than I thought, because when you get into a book, then you have to have uh, a theme, you have to have a plot line, you have to have tension, you have to keep people involved. So it becomes much more than just a collection of short stories. But this group has been very, very useful. In t and I've learned a lot. You know, they've uh -huh. taught me about tension and plot line and theme and all these kinds of things. The use of dialogue, which I was never very good at. So they've certainly helped me to improve. Uh, the format of the group is uh, what happens is every week, three people are chosen on a rotating basis 
to read a portion of their work, um, up to about 3,000 words, sometimes a little bit more, we're a bit flexible on that. Mm -hmm. So we read a section of our work, and then the other people in the group give us critical feedback on, you know, what they understood, what worked, what didn't work, what could be improved, mm -hmm. how you can add to the story, things that you've included that are not necessary and really help you to shape what you've written. Uh, sometimes you can revise. I've done this a few times, is revise the section and then taken it back to the group again for more feedback. Um, Ruth, who's a member of the group, has published a historical novel, um, and she found the feedback from the Scribblers group, which has actually been going for about 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, she found the feedback from the group to be invaluable in producing her novel. Um, she's now working on another historical novel, which we're critiquing. And some of the work in the group is amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we have all kinds of genres uh, from historical to memoir um, to uh, humorous vignettes to a whole variety of stuff. Uh, a romance novel. One of our members is writing a romance novel. So, yeah, and again, it's a regular meeting we meet once a week it's a discipline so you have to have something produced for the group it's a commitment that you make and I think that commitment is very important as a writer to to have something that keeps you going because it's a very lonely craft at times yeah. you know you sit at your computer and you work by yourself yeah. and the critique groups are good yeah mm. I, I love the critique groups because you get feedback uh, but you have to be uh, brave enough to accept the critiques because some people don't like to be critiqued, but that's how you learn. Yeah, it's a very brave act. Um, the first time I read for them and I think, oh, my God, these are all published authors. What am I doing here? I don't belong. And I was so nervous when I read my first submission, but they were very encouraging and very wonderful. And it's a supportive when you say critique, it's not criticism. Yeah. It's positive suggestions yeah. to improve yeah. your writing. Yeah. Here we use a thing called RIFF, R-I-I-F-F, -F, and it's respectful, informative, interesting, friendly feedback. So when we have times when people share a story or poem or something, we open to RIFF, not RIP, because I... I have been in a, a script writing group for uh, filmmakers and sometimes people rip things and it's not mm -hmm. as beneficial as when it's supportive and you give mm -hmm. critique or you give yeah. riff so that people can grow and appreciate when it's their turn they're not just sitting wait, wait, waiting to cut you because of something you did so I think uh, I think you were going to share something Leslie that you've developed within your group um yeah I think what I might do is read one of the first things that I read to the group from my travelogue so let me just call that up here uh, okay here we go okay so um I went to Japan about 10 years ago um, I had I'd been developing a lot of links I would say to Japan um, I had uh, trained as an English as a second language teacher and um, as part of my, um, I had to do some volunteering and I was teaching at a uh, Japanese English language exchange um, and I got to know a lot of Japanese students. Uh, my son married a Japanese lady and 
Uh, I have a granddaughter who is half Japanese, and we were visiting her family in Japan, which is why we went. And it was fascinating because it was more than just a travel. You know, we weren't just on a guided tour. We were actually staying with people and becoming part of the culture. And this is part of what I wanted to communicate through my travelogue. So this is chapter one of the travelogue. And I've called it How to Take a Bath. And it mentions Michiko, and she was our host for a week. Uh, she was a lady I met when she was traveling to Vancouver. She was an English teacher from Japan. Uh, she was on a language exchange with her class. So Michiko is our very first host in Japan. Okay. What temperature do you like your bath, asked Michiko, as I knelt next to her and watched the water run into a half-sized bathtub. The floor beneath my knees was gray fiberglass. In the corner behind me, a low wooden stool sat underneath a shower fixture with a long flexible hose and a small shelf holding a white plastic bowl. Since the precise temperature of my bath water was not something I had ever seriously considered, I responded with a tentative, what temperature do you like? I like 40 degrees, stated Michiko, who obviously considered this an extremely serious matter. Mm. She opened an electronic control panel on the wall above the tub and jabbed repeatedly at the buttons inside. She unrolled a white slatted wooden cover and laid it over the top of the tub. I was exhausted. Mike and I, that's my husband, Mike, Mike and I had left our home in Vancouver at 6 p.m. the previous day. We had joined my son, Doug, my daughter-in-law, Yome, and our six-month-old granddaughter, Fiona, for a flight westward through 10 hours of eternal sunlight, losing an entire day when we crossed the international dateline. When we arrived the next day, it was still 6 p.m., we retrieved our luggage from the carousel and dragged our suitcases over to customs, where a Navy uniformed officer stamped our passports, bowed, and welcomed us to Japan. I was happy to see Michiko waiting outside the airport in the bright glow of the evening sun. It was over 10 years since I had met her at Horse Lake, and she had not changed. She still wore her hair in the same blunt bob and still had the same pleasant smile. I introduced Michiko to Doug, Yomi, and Fiona. We were all frazzled from the long flight and the cramped seats, but Fiona, who had slept peacefully for most of the way, sat in her stroller beaming happily. Michiko knelt down, smiled with delight, and cooed at her in Japanese. We said goodbye to Doug and Yome, who were heading to Yome's mother in the Tokyo suburb of Urawa. We followed Michiko across the parking lot to where her husband Yoshi was waiting patiently in their van. Yoshi was a small man with gray hair and a round face who seemed generally content with life. He got out of the van and greeted us with a bow, heaved our suitcases into the van and invited us to climb into the back seat. As he drove east along the highway, the sun finally set, and I slept for most of the three-hour drive to Tatsuyama. Mm. When we arrived at the house, Yoshi grabbed our suitcases. Michiko opened the door. This is the Genkan, said Michiko. This is where you change your outdoor shoes for indoor slippers. 
The genkan was a small enclosed porch. On the right-hand side, neat rows of slippers were arranged on a low shelf. On the left-hand side was a small stool and assorted bric-a-brac, including a large blue ceramic vase and a moth-eaten stuffed partridge with one sad eye. I have made slippers for you, said Michiko. He reached down and picked up two pairs of sandals made of twisted rope, one pair for me and one for Mike. I made these with paper patterns you sent. Wearing our new slippers, we lugged our heavy suitcases through the front door and up to the second floor. The highly polished wooden staircase was extremely narrow. I struggled to hold on to the leaden weight of my case, petrified that it would slip as I tried not to bang the wall on the way up. Michiko led us into an empty, pink-carpeted room. This is your bedroom, she said. You can leave your suitcases here. Jet lag kicked in. My eyes were burning and my brain felt as if it was full of cobwebs. Everything felt surreal as I stared at the empty room, wondering why there was no bed. My question was answered when Michiko slid open a door in the wall. She pulled out a rolled up futon and laid it on the floor along with pillows, sheets and blankets. Michiko showed us the small closet sized toilet and much larger bathroom across the hall. Mike headed downstairs and I stayed with Michiko while she filled the bathtub, fiddled with the bath controls and gave me bathing instructions. The bath is for relaxing, she told me. Use the shower over there before you get in the bath. Sit on that stool to wash your feet. There is soap and shampoo on the shelf and please do not let any water out of the tub. Later, as we sat around the kitchen table eating rice crackers and drinking green tea, Michiko introduced us to the Japanese penchant for precise and careful planning. She produced a sheet of paper on which she had written out the week's schedule. Each morning, she explained, we will go sightseeing and then come home for lunch. For the afternoon, she had planned various cultural experiences, which included school visits, a pottery class, and a tea ceremony. He hoped that Mike had remembered to bring his fly tying equipment so he could teach her friends how to make flies. And of course, she added, we will go fishing. Our evening routine would consist of television, dinner, and a bath. Before dinner, Michiko informed us, I like to watch my favorite soap opera. After dinner, we will have a bath. In Japan, we have a hot bath every night. Actually, protested Mike, I prefer a shower. Michiko pulled herself up to her full height of five and a half feet and attempted to look at my six foot four inch husband directly in the eye. In Japan, she repeated firmly, we have a hot bath every night. A bell chimed from somewhere upstairs and a high-pitched female voice wafted from a small speaker on the kitchen wall. Ah, your bath is ready, Leslie-san. You can go first and then Maiko-san, Michiko announced, pronouncing our names as Resuri-san and Maiko-san. But remember, she added, Please do not let out the water. Following Michiko's precise instructions, I squatted on the miniature stool in the far corner of the bathroom, turned on the shower and soaked myself all over, scouring off the top layer of my skin with a cloth that was as scratchy as steel wool. 
I reached up for the shower nozzle and rinsed off the soap along with any remaining loose skin cells. Finally, I unrolled the tub cover and stepped carefully into the water, which had been heated to precisely 40 degrees Celsius. As I lowered myself into the tub, I noticed the water level rising. By the time the water was up to my armpits, the water was a half a centimeter from the rim of the tub. I realized that if I sank down any further, the water would spill over and flood the floor. I reached down to do the one thing Michio had told me not to do. Michio, sorry. I pulled the plug to let out some water so that I could sink all the way down to my chin. I laid in the tub and let the accumulated stress of the flight leach into the hot water. Thanks to my ablutions under the shower, the water in the tub was as crystal clear when I got out as it had been before I got in. When Mike came upstairs for his bath, I told him how I had avoided flooding the bathroom. You know, you wouldn't have hurt the bathroom floor, he laughed. It's waterproof with fiberglass and there's a drain right there. Then he looked at the half-sized tub and decided that it would not hold his 240-pound frame. I'm not even going to try to get into that tub, he stated. I'm just going to take a shower. Uh -oh. The next morning, Michiko asked me how I had enjoyed the bath. So I decided to entertain her with a blow-by-blow -blow account of my experience with water displacement. Well, I began, when I got in the tub, the water started to rise. It got up to the rim of the tub, and I know it was dumb, but I'm afraid I'd flood the floor. I grinned at Michiko, expecting at least a smile in return, but her face remained impassive. I'm really sorry, I went on. I had to let some water out. My attempt at humor seemed to get lost in translation. What about Michael-san, she asked. Well, actually, he just had a shower. He didn't think he could fit into the tub, I explained. <laughs> Michiko pursed her lips, which did not seem like a good sign. Hmm, <laughs> was her only reply. Later that day, Michiko took me into the downstairs bathroom, where I was surprised to see a full-size bathtub, like the one back home in Canada. This is our bathroom. Yoshi and I have been talking, and we have decided that you can use our bath. You and Michael-san will take a bath first. Yoshi and I will take a bath after you. I really did not know what to say except to thank her profusely. But as I lay on the futon that night, I realized that four adults will be sharing the same recycled bath water for the whole of the following week. Mm. Yes, well, we are lucky in this side of the world, you know, <laughs> a lot of waste. Yeah, and they really do save a lot <laughs> of water. Um, elsewhere in the book, I talk about the toilets, which had these little basins on the top of the tank and when you flush the toilet the water to fill the tank comes out of a faucet and runs into this little bowl so you can wash your hands with the same water that's going to refill the tank mm. yeah my goodness <laughs> but yeah. why, why weren't you supposed to let out oh because the next person would need the water well, they use the water. It's the same water the whole week, right? So if you let some of the water out uh, and then there's less water for the next person, plus it'll mess the temperature up. 
-hmm. because it's a computer controlled bathtub. The temperature is precisely controlled, right? Yes. <laughs> so does it flow down from the one bathroom to the next one? The... I don't mean to critique. No, the no, they just. What's that, Neil? Leslie, what what a beautiful description of your visit to Japan. You had me totally captivated the whole the whole story. So, uh, thank you. The superb job. Not, yes. not that I'm supposed to critique, but I just I, I needed to tell you how how I was totally captivated. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you, Neil. And a lot of that is thanks to the critique that I received in the group. Yeah. Um, I started out with like a little funny anecdote and based on their feedback, it grew into this actually, I think, quite wonderful little story. Yeah. 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 Leslie, I am Asian and I was in Japan. So when, uh -huh. I, was <laughs> when I was listening to, to your stories, my experience didn't go the way your story did but uh, you know i can almost feel what you're going through yeah they're very precise with everything yeah in it. everything yeah. is so regulated right yeah. <laughs> yeah it's more than the military like in the army <laughs> yeah i love the detail because the dish i could just feel like i was right there in that yes. that bedroom yes. in the bathroom yeah yeah I want to ask Leslie, you describe your dining experience. You were on a traditional table. You were not sitting on your, on your knee. Um, on, on, no, Michi Michiko had a Western-style dining room yes. table. Good. <laughs> yeah, but uh, we did also eat in our travels at traditional Japanese restaurants that had the low tables. Yes. Which yes. I found very uncomfortable, especially yes. for a formal family dinner that yes. went on for like two yes. hours. Yeah. yeah. Um, and did your husband get a chance to meet the geisha while you were in Japan? No, no. My fourteen <laughs> ceremony, no. <laughs> we did do a tea ceremony, but it was nothing like what I expected. A lot of things in Japan were not what I expected. You know, a yeah. lot of uh, my stereotypes got sort of yeah. punctured while yeah. I was there. Yeah. Leslie, I'm curious how you remembered all the details. Do you, did you write them down? Because you had them down so, you know, like the positioning or things. Or... Yeah, that's the value of a travel journal. And when I travel, okay. I always take a journal with me and I write things down. I didn't write all that exactly precisely down, but the journal triggered my memory and brought it back yeah. and helped yeah. me to remember the other mm. details. Yeah. How can you forget? <laughs> <laughs> Some unique experiences in a different country. Yeah. Mm. Leslie, I was also captivated with your uh, writing. Um, I was waiting for the climax to find out why you couldn't take the plug out of the tub, but uh, it was just an amazing story. I loved it. <laughs> Thank you, Jenny. It, it makes us think, oh, if chapter one was that good, I can't wait to get to the next chapter. The next great, episode. great. Yeah. Thanks, folks. Yeah. yeah, I'm still working yeah. on it. I'm actually on chapter 28. Now I've got about six to eight more chapters to do. So. Yeah. Yeah. That was fantastic. Thank you. Very good. Great. Oh, gozaimasu. I want to thank you for demystifying 
the haiku because I've heard of them. I've never, I don't think I've, I've written synchrograms, uh, the five line where you have each one, you know, you have five lines and four, then three, then two, then it goes yeah. back to the first. But haiku I was afraid of, but you made it seem really simplified, easy, and enjoyable experience. Yeah, you know, just go with your emotions. Don't think of uh, bigger things and literature. Just go with what you feel. Yes. And yeah, the master of haiku is uh, Basho, the Japanese yeah. poet. And uh, when his works are translated into English, uh, I know Una read a couple, but they don't actually scan. The syllables don't scan quite the same. Same, yeah. So the translations don't always have that five seven five. Uh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I thank all of you for knowing. That yes, you were right. You were invited to a program about writing. Uh, I was going to give two prompts, but we are at our hour point. So what I'm going to do is give you two prompts that you could work on a story for for the second Thursday in September. That would be the ninth. And the two prompts, and the reason that it's going to be that particular week. Next week, we're going to have another experiment. We're going to have an intergenerational conversation around the differences or similarities between what college students see as election issues and what older people see. So we're going to um, be surprised and take part in the discussion, but that's what we're doing next week. And I'm sure all of you will have opinions to give to the panelists that will be presenting. You'll get to meet the uh, chairman of the board for our 411 Center. That's one of the people. And uh, it's going to be interesting because one of my thoughts is they seem to always pick the two groups apart. But then yet many of us have talked about people who've had a grandchild or a niece or, or a nephew, that there are very similar things. Or there's been this help where at first people would say, oh, if you're going to go on the computer, you need to get a millennial. Well, the millennials were doing something else, and we had to learn how to get on Zoom, adjust all these different things yeah. ourselves. <laughs> and so, uh, and that we found we have a similar issue around lack of high-speed, affordable Wi-Fi. So that's what we're going to be doing next week. And then... On the ninth, the two prompts are, you could choose whichever one you wanted. And one is to, um, in my notebook, you wake up and discover it's 30 years in the future. Describe your amazing discussion with the first person you see. Wake up. It's 30 years in the future, and so you're going to you're going to um, describe, write your amazing discussion that you're going to have with the first person you see. Okay, the second option is to write a funny to-do list for a kid who's asked you what they can do for twenty dollars. Did everybody get those two? So you could choose which one you want to do. Yeah, maybe you could email them out to us as well, Charlotte. Okay. Yeah, I like the one where you wake up in the future. (laughs) Charlotte, would you repeat the second choice, please? Yes, the second choice is you're going to write a funny to-do list to a kid who asks you what 
you know, what can I do for twenty dollars? Okay. And so this podcast, the Powered by Age podcast, can be heard on our own website, but they also are posted on Anchor. Dot FM, And Anchor relays it over to other places that you hear podcasts, to Spotify, iTunes, a number of other sites. It even goes on to YouTube, but without the pictures. We have a, um, a YouTube page where you can hear, you can, you, it's transcribed. Sometimes they don't get all the words right, <laughs> but it transcribes and you can see the words. So those are... Uh, places that you can see. And sometimes it takes about five days from the time that we do it for it to get onto the podcast sites. But tomorrow, Friday, uh, I'm also going to air the recording of the show in my CJSF radio spot. So that is a radio station on Simon Fraser University. So you just stream on your on any device. You go to cjsf.ca. And you can hear it. And it will say, if you're looking on your computer, it will say, listen live. There's a little place over to the right where you just push listen live. And so that's streaming. If you're in the frequency area, like in the Vancouver area, you can dial it on the radio to 90.1 FM. But it, it won't be in the frequency area for Ontario. Okay, CJFF.ca? No, it's CJSF, like yeah, candy. Okay. June, sugar. SF Simon Fraser, right? (laughs) Yes. Yes. SF. Can we get that? Can we get that radio station in Mississauga, Charlotte? No, uh, you would have to get it streaming because the college stations stream to a local frequency, a local geographic area. Yeah, but you can get it on CJSF.ca. So thank you so much for spending the time today. Thank you for those who called. Just send me a, uh, an email, pbaafc at gmail, and I'll put you in, I send out an email invitation list, so I'll send you an email, and you can pass it on, and you can tell other people, and then I will uh, include them in our email list. Okay, great. That's wonderful. You will, you know. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a beautiful week, and I'll see you again. Thank see you, you again. Thank you. Bye, everyone.